to the great detectives of old time radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. All right, well, I do want to encourage you and remind you that coming up next Wednesday, December the 8th, I'll be having my first live audio chat on the Wisdom app. So go to wisdom.greatdetectives.net to connect with my profile and be able to chat with me. Uh, And uh, it's December 8th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, that's 8.30 Eastern and 5.30 Pacific. Also, I haven't mentioned it this year, but we do have a feed of all of the Christmas programs we've done on The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Check it out at christmasfeed.greatdetectives.net. Now, let's get into this week's episode of Philo Vance, the original air date. September the 28th, 1948, and the title is The Argus Murder Case. Markham, it certainly seems strange being with you in the middle of the night when we haven't been working on a murder. Even district attorneys take some time off, Vance. And here's your apartment house. That it is. Well, thanks for taking Ellen home and for dropping me. No trouble at all, Vance. I'll call you tomorrow if anything interesting happens. I'll be waiting. Good night, Markham. Meet you at a murder. I beg your pardon, Mr. Vance? Yes, I'm Vance. I've been waiting here in front of your house for hours. Mr. Vance, I'm Edgar Walters. I must talk to you. It's it's about my wife. She's missing. There's nothing I can do about that tonight. Not at this hour. You've got to do something, Mr. Vance. I'm desperate. You know that gambling ship that's anchored offshore? Yes, I know about it. Why? Well, my wife went out there this evening to gamble with Lucky Saunders. He owns the ship. She can't help gambling. She she has to. Cards, roulette, horses. It doesn't make any difference. There are people like that. But as long as you know where she is, Mr. Walters... I know where she was, Vance. All gambling stops on board at 2 a.m. And it's almost 4 now. She should have been home an hour ago. I, I know something has happened to her. And you want me to find out what, if anything? You're a private investigator, Vance. And I'll pay you well. I'll go upstairs and change my clothes. Be on my way in half an hour. Here's my card, Vance. Call me as soon as you find out anything, will you? And thank you. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome, Mr. Walters. I only hope I give you a real reason for thanking me before long. deal, Mrs. Wallace? You're cut, Mr. Saunders. How much did I owe you before we started this evening's session, Mr. Saunders? Uh, 12,000. 
Now I owe you three thousand. <laughs> it's time to quit, isn't it? I have a stateroom fixed for you, Mrs. Walters. We could go on with the game in the morning. Uh-uh. Lady Luck's smiling at me right now. Tomorrow she might be laughing out loud. One cut, double or nothing. For uh, 3000 That's right. If I win, you join your friends, Mr. and Mrs. Henderson. Leave, huh? Oh, if I win, I'll stay here on board. There are no more water taxis to shore. I sent the last one off an hour ago. The Hendersons don't mind spending the night aboard ship. You're cut, Mr. Saunders. <clears throat> As you say. There we are. Nine of diamonds. Nine's the queen of clubs. That makes 6,000. Queen of clubs again. That's the third time you've picked that queen, Mrs. Walters. I suggest we quit. You won uh, 6,000. I have it here in my safe. I'll get it for you. Maybe you won't have to get me anything. Or 12,000. Double or nothing, Mr. Saunders. One cut. One cut. They say never fight the cards, but there is also a law of averages to be taken into consideration. You're cut first. 12,000 or nothing. You are a gambler, aren't you? Well, my cut. The... Queen of clubs. Why, yes. <laughs> you seem surprised. You shouldn't be. You've had a strange affinity for that card since we started. Perhaps we'll discuss that a bit after I've cut. There. Oh, Jack of Diamonds. You win 12,000. Once more. Hardly. You want the cash now? I think so. Then in the morning, with my friends, Mr. and Mrs. Henderson, as bodyguards, I'll leave the ship. Really, Mrs. Walters? Would you like to cut double or nothing on that, too? Almost five o'clock, Ace. You think she's still playing? Well, she hasn't come to a stateroom, has she? Lucky Saunders told me he had the one next to this fixed for her. She'll be here as soon as she wins enough. Edith Walters mustn't win. She mustn't. When she plays with Lucky Saunders, the weather's clear and the track fast. But if she does win, maybe she'll take care of the markers I've been holding. She's in my book for 10000 she dropped on the horses. You don't generally let anyone get into you for that much, Ace. You know, I think that... Uh-uh, honey. You're the one I married to, and I like it that way. There's nothing between her and me. I suppose we just forget all this and go to bed. We've got to know whether she won or not. I've got to. In the morning. Comes the morning, we'll both find out. Go ahead to sleep if you want to. I'm waiting up until I hear her come in. And if she won tonight, I'm going to get that money she owes you. If she lost... Yes, honey. What if she finished out of the money? <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep laughing. Mary Henderson. What do you want? You mean, what do we both want? Me and this gun. Same answer, though. We both want you. You're being a little dramatic, aren't you, Mary? Maybe. How much did you lose to Saunders? I don't know that it's any of your business, but... I didn't lose. Mm, that's what I was afraid of. You know, I don't like you, Edith. I gathered that quite some time ago. I liked you more when I first met you. I despised you then. I was praying you'd lose to Lucky Saunders tonight. Sorry to disappoint you. 
I still don't know any reason for that gun, I'll explain. It's very simple. There are no boats leaving for shore, and certainly none coming out from shore for the next couple of hours. We're practically alone on this ship. You and I, my husband, and Rocky Saunders. So? So you've got no means of either getting off or getting help. And I wanted to announce to you personally that you'll never leave this ship alive. You've lost sight of one thing, haven't you, Mary? My husband knows I came out here. Your husband thinks you came out here. Nobody knows except my husband, Rocky Saunders and I. And I'm sure none of us will ever remember seeing you on board. You... You're going to kill me? Maybe. You're going to be dead, I can tell you that. I... You're afraid, aren't you? I was afraid, too. I've been afraid for months. Afraid I'd lose my husband to you. But I won't now. There'll be no you around to lose him to. You forget there's a radio room on board right next door. I can send a message for help, and I'm going to right now. Stop. Edith, stop. (laughs) One of these switches turns on the microphone. One of them does. It must be this one. It's got to be. Anybody, anybody who can hear me anywhere, get in touch with the police. I'm going to be murdered. Listen, my name is Edith Walters. I'm on board the gambling ship Argus. Please, if anybody hears this, get get in touch with the police. Tell them to come out here. Tell them to hurry. They're coming in for me now. Tell them to hurry. Hurry before... It's too late. This is Edith Walters. Call the police. Hello? Markham, this is Vance. I didn't wake you up, did I? No, no, you didn't. As a matter of fact... I've been trying to reach you on the telephone for ten minutes. Your line's been busy. I've been trying to get you, Vance. It's six o'clock in the morning. What do you want me for? I've tried for two hours to get some sort of transportation so I could get out to the gambling ship Argus. I can't find a thing at this hour. I'm going to need a police launch. What did you want to get out to the Argus for? To look for a woman named Edith Walters. Her husband... Edith Walters? She's the reason I've been trying to reach you, Vance. A half hour ago, an amateur radio operator picked up a call for help from Edith Walters. She was screaming she was about to be murdered, and the call was cut off in the middle of a sentence. We've got to do something, Markham. How soon can you meet me? I'm down at the docks now. Well, Sergeant Heath is picking me up. I'll be there in ten minutes. The police launch has already been ordered. Pick up Edgar Walters on the way. He's at the Buckingham Apartments. I'll be waiting for you, Markham, at the foot of the docks. Get to the bottom of this mystery. Take it easy, Walters. We'll be out at the gambling ship very shortly. I know, Vance. It's just that I'm afraid of what we'll find when we do get there. That's we're a little bit lost. This fog is so heavy, the launch pilot says he can't see a thing. We're going by compass, but we don't know exactly where the Argus is anchored. Oh, I know, Mr. Markham. It's exactly two miles along the coastline from the dock, and we round a blinker light and head due east into the ocean. I was out there only the other night with my wife, and that's how we got there. Well, that's fine, Walters. Thanks. I'll tell the pilot. Well, Sergeant, he... Don't take it so hard, Walters. Things may not be as bad as you imagine. No. No, maybe they aren't. All I'm sure of is that they couldn't be any worse. There's the Argus Vance. 
Thanks again for those directions, Mr. Walters. Don't forget it, Mr. Markham. Let's worry about my wife. I'll try to find her for you, Mr. Walters, believe me. Let Heath and his men search the ship and give me a half hour to question anybody on board. I promise you, if Mrs. Walters ever arrived on the Argus, I'll have news for you. You going to use the master's cabin as an office, Vance? Temporarily, Markham. What luck has Sergeant Heath had? None at all. He's had men searching this ship for a half hour. They can't find Mrs. Walter's body, and they can't even find any evidence that she ever was aboard. This is really a case, Vance. Yes, I know. I'd like to see the owner of this ship, Malcolm. He's waiting outside. In fact, I'll see him and Mr. and Mrs. Henderson together. All right, I'll tell them right now, Vance. Mr. and Mrs. Henderson and Mr. Saunders, will you come in here, please? Yes, of yes, course. Yes, sir. Please sit down and make yourselves comfortable. What do you want with us, Vance? I'm not quite sure. You say you haven't seen Mrs. Walters in two days, that she was not aboard this ship last night? That's right. Mr. Saunders, how do you account for the radio message that was picked up and relayed to the police? I've got no idea how, why, or from where it was sent. The message did say it came from the Argus. <laughs> and we do have a radio sending set aboard. But there's no way in the world to prove it came from here. No, there isn't. Mrs. Henderson, your story, I take it, is the same as Mr. Saunders? Not at all. I beg your pardon. He said he hadn't seen Edith Walters in two days. I haven't seen her in a week. I see. And you, Mr. Henderson? I was supposed to meet her at the track yesterday afternoon, but she never got there. That proves nothing one way or another. Mr. Saunders, how long have you been operating this gambling ship in these waters? Mm, about a month. It's all very legal, Vance. It's a matter of opinion. It's legal. Well, let's say it's within the law. <laughs> it's outside the state's jurisdiction, so state laws do not apply to it. Has the ship always been anchored in just this spot? No, no. We move it around every night. A few miles up or down the coastline. Just to uh, prevent any possible hijacking. We move it every night. But we keep it outside state limits every time we do. I understand. They call you lucky, don't they, Mr. Sanders? Most gamblers are called lucky, Mr. Vance. I've got an idea, though, that your name isn't complete. Offhand, despite the fact that we can find no evidence that Mrs. Walters was here, and certainly none that points to your having murdered her, I'd say your name should be lucky up to now. This is District Attorney Markham. The Argus murder case started when Edgar Walters came to Philo Vance, asking him to help find Walters' wife. She had gone out to a gambling ship, the Argus, but nothing had been heard from her for several hours. Then, an amateur radio operator relayed a frantic message from Mrs. Walters to the police, and it sent Vance, Sergeant Heath, and me, along with Mr. Walters, out to the Argus. There we met Lucky Saunders, owner of the ship, and Mr. and Mrs. Henderson, both of whom knew Mrs. Walters, and both of whom denied she was ever on board. Hey, Mr. Vance. Oh, yes, Sergeant Heath. I was just on deck getting a little air. 
What have you found? I haven't found a thing. No trace of Mrs. Walters anywhere on board. But I'm sure that dame was on board this boat, Vance, and that she was murdered. How do we prove it? We don't. We can't unless we find the body. If she were murdered and the body thrown overboard, which is probably what happened, if she were murdered, we'll never find it. Hey, I never heard you so pessimistic before, Vance. Never had more reason to be, Heath. I'm going ashore to check over my facts, and I'm taking Mr. Walters with me. I'll contact Markham if I find out anything. Well, that's it up to date, Ellen. You've got all the facts? Yes, Vance, all of them. Can you think of anything to add to what I've dictated to Miss Deering, Mr. Walters? No. No, I can't. You've been very thorough, Vance. Ellen, when will you have those notes typed up so I can see them? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Please be sure. I'd like them in a half hour. Uh, come into my private office, will you, Mr. Walters? Uh, wait a minute, Vance. I beg your pardon. I'm not going to transcribe these notes today. I'm taking the rest of the day off. I'm sorry, Ellen. Some other day, if you like. Come along, Mr. Walters. Vance, I said I was taking the rest of the day off. I'll be back in the morning. You may take all day tomorrow, if you like. But, Ellen, those notes must be transcribed now. Sorry. There is something I've got to do, but that's not it. Goodbye. Ellen, if you leave now, I'd just as soon you didn't come back to work for me. Okay. If that's the way you want it. Mr. Vance, I'm sorry. You had nothing I... to do with it. I've felt this coming for quite a while. Let's get back to your wife, Mr. Walters. Who were her friends? Who might she have been with if she actually didn't go out to the Argus last night? She had few friends, Mr. Vance. Nobody she was very close to. Most of the days she spent at the track. The track, eh? Hmm. Where would she be at the racetrack if she were going there? Oh, somewhere around Ace Henderson's box. He's a bookmaker. You met him on board the Argus. Hmm. I'm going out to the racetrack this afternoon. Maybe I can pick a winner. That has nothing to do with horses. Hello, Mr. Henderson. Oh, hi, Vance. Didn't know you follow the ponies. I don't, generally. I got something good going in the next race, if you're interested. I'm interested, but not in races. Mrs. Walters? Come on, Joy! Come on, Joy! Yes, Mrs. Walters. I'd like to talk to you about her. Right after the race. Joy, the second is dropping back. Rasputin's closing in on Dave Derry. At the three quarters, it's still Dave Derry and Rasputin. Dave Derry by three lengths, but Rasputin's closing in. Dave Derry by two lengths. One length, Rasputin is alongside as they approach the finish line. It's neck and neck, nose and nose. There goes Rasputin out in front of Sparker, goes for the whip. It's Rasputin by half length. Rasputin, the winner! In second place, Dave Derry... Third place, Count Joe. Winner's time, 1.37. Next race, 20 minutes. Well, Vance, I dropped a few on that one. We won't bother, then, about the good thing you had for me in the next race. Henderson, how much did Mrs. Walters owe you? Oh, a few... Eight, ten thousand. How did she intend to pay you? That's never my problem, Vance. 
Isn't there some way bookmakers have of making sure that their clients do pay them? Yes, there is. What is it? What happened to Mrs. Walters? Coming, coming. Hello. Why, I don't think I know who you are, do I? You should. I'm Ellen Deering. I was Philo Vance's secretary. Remember me now, Mr. Walters? Oh, oh, yes. Yes, of course I do. Well enough to ask me to come in? Don't bother. I don't need an invitation. I don't understand what you want with me. Don't you? Okay, then I'll tell you. I'm the only one that knows that you murdered your wife. Do you want to know how I know you murdered her? I, I, I didn't kill her. I, I haven't even seen her since she, she left here yesterday morning. Oh, no. You told the police you'd been out to the gambling ship exactly a week ago, right? Of course that's right. They changed the position of that ship a couple of miles every night. Yet the time when you and Vance and Markham went out there, you gave exact directions on how to reach the Argus. Now, the only way you'd have known that is if you'd been there earlier. Well, that's now, right, don't but... get excited. Nobody realizes that for the fact except me. And what do you want? Money. Ten thousand will do. I don't have that kind of money. Well, then go get it. Here's my apartment address. Shall we say uh, nine o'clock tonight and ten thousand dollars in cash? What time is it, Vance? Two minutes to nine. Right, Ellen? Yes, but I'll go through with it. You were right about Walters, of course, but uh, what happens when he gets here? I'll be in the next room. You get him to talk and tell the whole story. Take the money. Then I'll come out and take him. Well, suppose he has other ideas. Ideas that he can pay me less expensively with a bullet than with a, a bundle. What then? Don't worry, Ellen. Nothing will happen to you, I promise. Oh, listen, that's the door. And that'll be Walters. Vance, please stay close. Hide, but stay close <laughs> just in case. Don't worry, Ellen. I'll be... Well, right on time, Mr. Walters. Uh, come on in. Oh, no. You're coming out. Out here in the hall. Come on. Hey, listen, you're hurting my arm. Your apartment might have been a trap. Taking no chances. We'll talk out here in the hall. Just locked your door, and here's the key right here in my pocket. Now, come on. You can't make me. See this knife? I'll slash it across your face if you don't come. What happened to your wife? You tell me that first. She's in the cellar of my house, all dressed up in concrete. Oh. And you'll be keeping her company. Are you coming or do I use a knife? I think I, I'm coming. Yeah, this guy's going. Hey, what's oh, this? Oh, Sergeant Heath. Am I glad to see you. Didn't you expect me? Oh. Didn't Vance tell you he asked me to be here in the hall in case this guy got cute? No, he didn't. And that reminds me. I've got something to say to Mr. Philo Vance. You won't be able to see a thing for a moment, Vance, now that Heath has turned the lights out. I figured that out for myself, Malcolm. Hmm. The FBI have done this, Vance, taken movies of an actual confession, but it's not done too often in police work. I think you're entitled to see the film, though. The film featuring Edgar Walters in his first and last starring role. Okay, Markham. Let's see and hear it. 
Right. Keith, let's have the film. All right. This is Edgar Walters. Of my own free will and volition, I'm confessing that I murdered my wife by going out to the gambling ship, Argus, in a small boat I had chartered the day before. I met her by arrangement, and I killed her as soon as we reached land. Her gambling was ruining me. I, I had to kill her. I don't know how anybody could have figured my actions. But Philo Vance did. All right, Heath. Let's have some lights. All right, Mr. Marvin. Very interesting, Markham. Very interesting explanation. Which reminds me, I've got some explaining still to do to Ellen Deering. She won't be satisfied till she knows the whole story. But then, neither was I. Well, Ellen, I know you've waited very patiently, so let's talk about the August murder case. It really had me puzzled for a while. I was quite certain that Mrs. Walters had been on board the Argus, but the denials of Lucky Saunders and Mr. and Mrs. Henderson threw me for a while. Why did they lie, Vance? They all had reason. Saunders would have made himself a wonderful suspect if he'd admitted that Mrs. Walters had been on board, and in addition, had given his gambling ship a bad reputation. A gambling ship a bad reputation? <laughs> well, that sounds like a reason skunks don't eat scallions, but <laughs> I'll buy it. Why did the Hendersons lie? Mrs. Henderson hated Edith Walters. And Edith Walters was welching on money she owed Ace Henderson. Mm. Both would be ready-made suspects if they told the truth. I suppose I'm dumb, but it's hard to figure out why Walters came to you in the first place. He was trying to be smart. He figured it was a perfect alibi to ask me to work on his wife's disappearance. He knew I couldn't possibly get out to the gambling ship at four in the morning. But he could, and he did. But what about that radio message that Mrs. Walters sent? Mrs. Henderson admits now that she threatened Edith Walters, that Mrs. Walters ran into the radio room and sent the message that brought us out to the Argus. And then? Then, while she was sending the message, Saunders came along let himself into the radio room with his own key and put his hand over Mrs. Walter's mouth. He didn't want the police out on his boat, actually. Commonly known as Matt. Mm. Then what? Then Saunders talked Mrs. Henderson out of any desire for personal revenge against Edith Walters and saw to it that Mrs. Walters got to her cabin. But she had arranged with her husband to meet him, as we know, and she rode with him to the shore and her death. It was a very clever plan Walters had. There's a moral in this somewhere. Something about wives, not gambling. Or playing around with gamblers. Hmm. That was the beginning of Mrs. Walters' trouble. Yes, I suppose it was. And this is the end of the Argus murder case.
Welcome back. So our villain was to believe that Ellen's plan was to blackmail him using her obvious deduction from evidence that was available to Philo Vance. So if she was on the level with him, he could uh, pay her off with a huge blackmail payment. And two minutes later, Vance just sits his head and goes, Oh, why didn't I get that? Of course. Given how obvious that was, it seems like the smarter play for the murderer would have been to go ahead and just leave town because Philo Vance was going to figure that out anyway. Although, of course, Philo Vance already had. The filmed confession may have been the silliest part of this episode, though. It's like someone said, yeah, let's go big. Let's go ahead and have Markham get a film confession. That will impress the audience. It's radio. It's like you could have just had, oh, yeah, we recorded his uh, confession on audio, and it'd be the same thing. Instead, you throw in the video, and you're like, why on earth did they think they needed a filmed confession? But one thing I will say for this episode, it had one of the best lines. I liked you more uh, when I first met you, and I despised you then. That is the type of dialogue that I'm just here for with Philo Vance. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was fun, even some of the really odd parts followed. All right. Listener comments and feedback now. And uh, I've got an email from uh, Derek who writes, Adam, something just occurred to me while listening to Philo Vance. He figured out about halfway through who the murderer was. But when the police asked who it was, he said he'd prove it to them tonight at his apartment at 9 p.m. Philo, Jeff Regan, the man called XKC, uh, Brad, the fat man Runyon, are all guilty of this. When they figure out who the murderer is, instead of telling the police, they make them wait. Well, what would happen if the villain actually killed the detective? Now the answer is lost forever. I know it's for dramatic effect, but if I ever become an international criminal and a world-renowned detective starts asking questions and says, Tonight, I'll tell everyone who the guilty person is. He'll be the first person I take out. Keep up the great work and happy Thanksgiving. Well, thanks so much, Derek. There can be good reason not to reveal the identity of the killer until you have your case complete and you're sure. First, if you uh, name the killer and you don't have the evidence or it turns out to be false, you can have an action against you for slander and you don't want that. Secondly, sometimes they keep it secret so that they can lay the trap for the killer. Third, and related to that, sometimes they don't actually know, and I'm convinced of that. Sometimes they're saying they know the killer just to get the killer to take action. And another one is that if you don't have all the evidence, you can end up looking foolish in the eyes of the police. I mean, Casey has uh, told Captain Logan his theory and uh, gotten mocked relentlessly when it looked like it was inaccurate. I remember an Ellery Queen book where he thought he had solved the mystery. I think it was the first one 
And he spent like a good 10 pages laying out all the evidence, all the reasoning, and it sounded completely solid, but it wasn't quite watertight, and uh, it turned out to be totally inaccurate. So I think there can be some caution there. But there's, it's a lot of drama, and I think most of the fictional detectives like the drama. They like being the star to say, yeah, okay, this is your man. You know, the big gathering of the suspects, particularly Philo Vance. He loves a good gathering of the suspects and naming the killer. And I think whatever other risk that he might face would always do that. I would also say that, uh, you know, it's not going to help much if you're dead, but you probably are not going to leave the case forever unsolved if you get killed as the detective. Because uh, particularly murder mystery subsequent uh, killings tend to be sloppy. I, I remember uh, Columbo, I think in the first uh, one that was part of the mystery wheel, you know, he said, you know, the, the later killings, those were sloppy. The first, however, was carefully planned out. And oftentimes, these killers have laid out intricate plans, which makes it less likely they're going to actually be caught. They don't do as well if you ask them to improv a crime. You know, sometimes I get very trollish comments posted on the website, but occasionally, like when we had that whole discussion where uh, somebody suggested that I become the executive producer, occasionally they'll come up with something that's interesting and worth addressing. And indirectly, uh, this troll raised a question of what actually inspired me to insert commentary on previously released works. And it's not, not wasn't something I'd actually actively ever thought about, at least not as far as I can remember. You know, going back decades, you had things like you know, the light, light, light show, where you'd have some uh, person serving as host who would introduce the uh, movie being aired, talk about the stars, and then kind of do commercial bumpers. Or they might do trivia. I, I remember a program on Channel 11 when I was in Washington State where there was a gentleman who hosted the midday movie and they would, you know, call people and give away money during the commercial break. I think trivia may have been tied to it. But it was just kind of that sort of basic thing, you know. But I think that began to change in the 80s and 90s. And you began to see more personality uh, and more uh, commentary being added onto the uh, movies. Of course, you had American Movie Classics, now known as AMC, back when they showed classic movies. With all the original series that they're known for, I feel like one of the few people in the world who knows that AMC originally stood for American Movie Classics. And for some films, they would have uh, people come on and not only introduce the show, but give some little bits of trivia and tell some, you know, stories about what happened behind the scenes, information on the actors, 
And then uh, you had Joe Bob Briggs, who in the 90s had a series called Joe Bob's Drive-In Theater. And also in the 90s, there was Dinner and a Movie. And while these had different approaches with Briggs adding in uh, sarcastic humor and Dinner and the Movie tending to add in recipes and, you know, lot banter, they were really shaking up showing that value could be added with commentary, discussion, and even off-topic banter. And even though I was not an, an avid fan, I think I took the lesson to heart. And that's part of the reason why it did not seem odd or out of place to start recording a podcast with commentary and doing different things around the episode. So while their efforts were different from mine, I think they were a definite uh, inspiration. And so I'd never thought of it before, but they set a precedent that I kind of followed. Now it is time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Barry, Patreon supporter since July 2015, currently supporting the show at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Barry. That'll actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Thursday, another episode of Philo Vance, and then join us back here tomorrow for an adventure with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, where... Expense account item one, $49.15. Plane fare and incidentals, Hartford to Toledo. En route, I read over the details concerning the case. 37 stolen merchandise claims had been filed and paid off in what looked like a first-class shoplifting epidemic in Toledo. I parked my two bags at the Commodore Perry Hotel and went over to the main police station. A Lieutenant Sturgis was in charge. Sit down, sit down. Thanks. Federal Insurance and Claims Justice, huh? That's right. You're here to find out what we've been doing about all this shoplifting, is that it? Well, we represent the insurance companies who've had to pay off on these theft claims. Yeah, sure, I see. Well, uh, where do you want to start? Well, let me see. How about this mommy dress shop, Lieutenant? Okay. Uh-huh. Let's see. Uh, February 10th, proprietor Mrs. Bancroft registered a complaint with us that a dress and a coat were missing from the storex. Well, we went over there and talked to her about it, made out the report as another shoplifting job, and put a description of the coat and the dress in the hot sheet. Mm -hmm. Dress wholesaled at $113. Coat had a fur trim, went at $395. Yeah. Looked a little better than most shoplifting jobs to us. We had it in mind when we got another complaint three days later from a place over on Oak Avenue. That'd be, uh, Milady's Shoppy? Yeah. Uh, Negligé in a silk robe. Yeah, we covered that one, too. Both of them came to $286. Yeah, same thing as the mommy. Clerks hadn't seen anyone, didn't know anything. The week of the 15th, we had two more complaints. On the 23rd, three complaints. They've been coming in regular ever since. Actually, the last one was three days ago. Always the best stores, always expensive merchandise. We rounded up every known shoplifter in our files, and we've had our store personnel at all of our lineups. No one's been able to make an identification so far.
I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.